Well, let's get going. Let's jump into this today. Today, we're going to begin to talk about the Day of Atonement. Now, we're going to do, start it today, and we're going to finish it next week. I was going to try to do it all together, and the more I got into this, unless you didn't want to celebrate Memorial Day at all, I decided to split it up into two Sundays, okay? Because there's just so much here, because this is literally the holiest day of the year on the Jewish calendar. There is nothing greater this be it. But before we get into that too much, I want to just kind of backtrack just a little bit. Look at these, these different holidays. We talked about two different things. We've gone over this ad nauseum. We have talked about that spring holidays. Jesus fulfilled all of those when he came the first time. The premise here, these are all going to be filled when he returns. And we've talked about that. The Feast of Trumpets is very much the rapture of the church, the taking away. The Day of Atonement, we'll talk about that more in depth next week. But in between here is where we talked about last week, the days of awe. And I have this shot here. We've got these, the calendar. This is the thing we got to remember, is that in the month of Elul, which is just prior to the month of Tishri, the seventh month, so Elul is the sixth month, is a month of preparation. The Feast of Trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah, begins on Tishri 1. Between Tishri 1 and Tishri 10 is the 10 days of awe, this being the Day of Atonement, which is what we're going to talk about today. That Day of Awe is a time of reflection. It is a time of repentance, which leading up to it. And the premise here is, is this all has to do with agriculture, that they bring in the harvest, and during those 10 days, they're separating the wheat from the chaff, the good stuff and the bad stuff. And then when it was all separated, they would burn the chaff, the stuff that they don't want. But then they begin to look back and say, how did we do? We look at the farm. Did we... Did we do good? And they say, boy, you know, maybe we should have planted more. Or maybe we should have watered more. Or maybe we should have done these other things more and we would have had a better harvest. And last week, the Lord had put on my heart to really get serious about this. Is not just look at this from the practical standpoint, but from the spiritual standpoint. Because you cannot plant without a harvest coming. And if the harvest has never arrived in your life, then you've got to ask the question, have I been planting? And if I haven't been planting, then why have I not? And I ask you guys to take some time and really reflect on your life because the problem is in this country, and this is, this is a problem everywhere, is to be honest, is because our lives are so cushy, and I mean cushy. We've got it so good that we are blessed. There's no question about it. We are blessed, and we uh, equate that the blessings of God and doing the things of God is one and the same. I stood up in front of a, a crowd full of homeschool parents one time, and uh, I said, never mistake morality for spirituality. They are not one and the same. Because your child is well-behaved and well-mannered and says yes, uh, please, and no, thank you, and opens doors for ladies and all of that, does not mean they are right with God. And the problem is with the parents in that world is that they're like, yes, Junior's well-behaved, he must be right. I had kids that were a part of some Bible bowl quiz thing. They'd memorize half the book of Acts because they'd have to be able to, at a moment's notice, be able to go to this verse and recite it word for word out of this translation. But you'd ask those same kids, what is that saying? And they don't have a clue. It's like reading American history. They're just, they're just regurgitating is all they're doing. But it's not sinking in and changing their lives. When we look time period for them, for the Jewish people. This was a time of reflection. Did we do a good job? And you know how you know if you did? How was your harvest? It's the only way you know. If the harvest isn't plentiful, then the sowing and reaping part is not plentiful either. And that's what we've got to look at. This day, these 10 days of awe is what leads up to the point of we get to the Day of Atonement. And we're going to start in Leviticus chapter 23. 
Leviticus chapter 23, starting in verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, now remember, Leviticus chapter 23, we've been going through each and every week talking about these different parts. Also, the tenth day of this seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. And any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You should do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls. On the ninth day of the month, at evening, from evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. So today we are going to break down kind of what the Day of Atonement is and how they did it. Next, we're going to look at the spiritual side of this more and how Jesus is going to fulfill it. Okay? So this week is a lot of information, but bear with me because all of it's important. All right. First of all, there are three different names that are given for the Day of Atonement. One that we've already talked about, Yom Kippur. It's a Hebrew name. It means Day of Atonement, right? Not exactly a brain twister there. But the second name that's giving is the Shabbat Shabbaton, which means the Sabbath of Sabbaths. In other words, this is a high holy day. You do nothing. And this is not something they took lightly. The Sabbath of Sabbaths is the holiest of all the rest days. The other Sabbaths were important, but this one more so. All the laws that apply to the Sabbath apply to this day specifically. And, and so the, anything that was going on, whatever day Tishri 1 fell on, if it was a Monday, if it was a Thursday, didn't make any difference. And they didn't call them Mondays and Thursdays, just so you know. But it is a, a day where they are in absolute rest and absolute worship, they do no work. I mean, you guys, when you say Sabbath, the, the problem we have is when we think Sabbath, we think Sunday is the day of worship or day of rest where we just do a little bit less and maybe work a little bit less. That is not what they do. Anybody who's ever been to Israel knows how it is to the point they've taken it to the nth degree. So they have two sets of elevators in Israel. And on the Sabbath day, you have the Jewish elevator and you have the Gentile elevator. The Jewish elevator on the Sabbath day stops on every floor because pushing the button might be work. Okay? That's how it works, right? You've been there. You've seen it, right? I've never been there. I've been told about this. So what happens is a bunch of Jewish people stand in the lobby till the Gentile jumps on the Gentile elevator. They get on there. Uh, floor seven, please, if you, if you wouldn't mind. You know. Some of those buildings are tall. I mean, uh, could you imagine I'm on the 32nd floor? You're going to stop at every one. Those are things I used to do in hotels as a kid. I'd get off, push every button, and I'd bail. And I know somebody was not happy with me. There are parts of my life I'm not proud of. Yes, yes. I was trying to help them out. What if it, it was a Saturday. Anyway, how did we get off on that? All right. The third name, okay, is Yom HaKippurim, which means the Day of Atonements. It's a plural form. Because in Jewish thinking, atonement is made for the living, but also for the dead. And this is a reason, it's a very special remembrance for them. A prayer is recited in this service, in this occasion. Um, it's a very big deal, because not only do you need to be atoned for here, but also in the afterlife. Now, that's got a lot of different flair that we've kind of seen before um, in, in different denominational type settings, and also cultish type settings. I mean, there's the, the Mormons as an example. Baptized for the dead, all right? If you were unaware, Mormons are not Christian. It is not the same thing. And so they will baptize for the dead, trying to bring repentance upon their dead loved ones. 
So this is somewhat of an introduction, but in the biblical practice, and and we'll talk more on this subject later, but it's this idea is just twofold. It's a day of affliction for the soul, and it was a day of both individual atonement and national atonement. There were two things that were going on here. But the key thing to remember, one must afflict their soul. That's a must. So we're going to go back a little bit. We're going to get into Leviticus chapter 16, and we're going to read through it all. And then we're going to break it down a little bit to begin to point out what it is they did and why they did it. Okay, so bear with me here. Leviticus chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And I'll explain that later. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die, for I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and with the linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments, therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. He shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring a bull of the sin offering which is for himself and make atonement for himself and for his house and shall kill the bull as a sin offering which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine and bring it inside the veil. He shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony lest he die. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side and before the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. Bring his blood inside the veil. Do, that, do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he was has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting, and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgression concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an unhibited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, shall take off the linen garments which he put on when he went 
into the holy place and shall leave them there. He shall wash his body with water in a holy place, put on his garments, come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who released the goat as a scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward he may come into the camp. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place shall be carried outside the camp. And they shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh, and their offal. Then he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterwards he may come into the camp. This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your soul and do not work at all, whether a native or your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as a priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes, the holy garments. Then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary and he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly this shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year and he did as the Lord commanded Moses that was a mouthful this is not a passage that one tattoos on their arm right we don't go back and read this stuff why because that's a lot of stuff y'all I mean, you think about, and the thing is, is look at the order of which you put, it has to be all right. You've got to do this, you've got to wash this way, put on these clothes, then go in there. Everybody else got to leave, you've got to go in there, sacrifice the blood this way, burn the incense, walk in there, sprinkle the blood seven times on the east side. Don't go to the west side, that's where the bad people are. Stick on the east side. I mean, you know, it's like, it's just it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. If he misses one little detail, what happens? He gone. He's dead. There is a lot of blood in this passage, right? A lot. This is not a small amount. Every step-by-step -step instruction has to be followed by the high priest. And it's an illustration of what's being said in Leviticus 17.11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. This is the next chapter. The book of Hebrews talks about this specifically, and we'll get into that next week. But there is a lot going on. Can you imagine the responsibility on Aaron to get every detail right? Because if he screws up, there's not a backup high priest. There's no bullprint pen in the priesthood. Okay? Moses doesn't walk out, touch his hands, and somebody else comes in and fills in. This is it. If he screws up, the Day of Atonement is over. Now what happens? So this is serious. Very serious. So here's what we're going to do. This is going to be fun, y'all. We're going to break this down verse by verse. I know it sounds like a lot, but I want you to see what's happening here. Okay? So, when we talk about the Holy of Holies and what's going on, let's go back to verse 1. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of his two sons of Aaron when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die, for I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Now, this message comes after the death of two sons of Aaron, as it says, uh, this is in Leviticus chapter 10, where this takes place. Now, they died because they made an offering in an improper manner. You, you came to the Lord in a specific way. These priests knew the rules. These guys didn't do it. Go read Leviticus chapter 10 if you want to read more about that. But the emphasis on verse 1 is that when one approaches God, it cannot just be any old way. 
You come to him in the specific way that he lays out. And failure to observe the ordinance in this specific way will result in a divine judgment, which is what we saw in Leviticus 10, or what we see there. So, put that in today's perspective. Don't all roads lead to heaven? The answer is no. The path is narrow. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's one way. That's it. You approach God His way. I mean, you think about that. If you walked into the president's office, all right, like him, hate him, don't care, irrelevant. Any president, pick one you like, you're walking in to see him, okay? If you were a Roosevelt guy, whatever, I don't care. But when you walk in, there is an order of which you do things, right? You don't just open the door of the Oval Office and say, yo, Trump, what's up? I'm here. That's not going to happen. You will have been tackled before you get that opportunity. There is a way in which you do things. I've had people that have met the Queen of England. Same thing. They walked through and said, you're going to do this, 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 and this. And when you meet her, this is what you're going to do. You have three seconds with her. Say hello. Say how great she is. Then you turn around and leave. You walk this way at this pace. Take this many steps. I mean, it is that in depth. There, you just don't do it any old way. Can you imagine how you approach God? What is required for him to approach God? Blood. Sacrifice of blood. Why? Because of sin. That's what it says. Okay? So, the idea that all roads lead to God? Absolutely not. That all religions worship the same God, they just call him a different name? Absolutely not. God is the one who decides the means of which we can approach him, and he spells it out for us. But verse 2 points out that Aaron himself cannot enter the Holy of Holies any way that he wants. And the penalty, if he does this, is going to be death. Aaron is the high priest. You have the priesthood, and you have Aaron. He is the, the guy. Okay? All of that priesthood comes from the, the tribe of, of the Levites. And so they are the ones that do this, which is why we're in Leviticus, writing to the Levites specifically. But Aaron is the, the, the family bloodline here that is laying all of this out. He is the high priest. The reason in the Holy of Holies is a place of God's glory is what we call the Shekinah glory, the presence of God. It can be entered one day a year. That is it. On this day, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the high priest. Now, I've got a picture here. I've got a couple of them, actually. The tabernacle. I, wanted to, I want to walk through this again. Now, we went through this about a year ago, but maybe some of you weren't here. Maybe some don't remember. This is facing east, okay? This is the entrance. This is one way in, one way out, okay? You don't sneak under the fence. You don't climb it. They built the wall around it. Wall? Nothing? Okay, tough crap. All right. So you walk in here, all the sacrifices. You've got, which is a little bit hard. You've got the altar here that the sacrifice is made upon, that the priest would come and they would sacrifice. You would bring in a, a bull, a goat, whatever you're bringing in, a lamb, and you would put them up on the altar. You would lay your hands upon that animal, being one with the animal, as the priest would recite whatever he was reciting and kill this animal there. Then it, depending on the type of offering, it was either completely consumed in fire or different parts of it were used, just depending on the situation. I want to get all of that. From that point, the priest would enter in, or come over here to the bronze laven. He would wash there. There was two parts. He would wash his hands and his feet. Okay, it was a, a ceremonial thing. We would call this a mikvah, although this wasn't a complete immersion. It was also a reflecting pool. They could see themselves in it, which was significant. They see that blood on their hands. Something had to die because of these people. All right? From here, we get inside of it. This is the, 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 uh, the entrance, if you will. Okay, let's go to the next slide. So this is what I'm talking about. You got the labor. You go through the door. In here, you've got three items, the table of showbread, the menorah or the light, 
uh, and then you've got the altar of incense. Now, these, this is the holy place, all right? This is where all the priests could go. Any of them were welcome to go there. That was not a problem. So they had the table of showbread where they would set up bread all of the time. Um, it was unleavened bread. They would partake of that. Of course, this was the only source of light. This thing was covered in very specific fabric and things like that. It was completely dark in here, so there was one light. And then you have the altar of incense. And so when it said that he grabs a coal from there and goes in here and burns the incense, that's what it's talking about. Here you have the veil, and this is what separates the holy place from the most holy place. This was a thick piece of fabric. It was not small. And so only on this day could he go in here into the uh, most holy place or the holy of holies. This is the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant, two separate things. The mercy seat is called the throne of God. So this is where the presence of God would um, reside, or what we would call the Shekinah glory. So you've got the outer place, the inner place, the Holy of Holies, all right? We all kind of see how that works. That is what's going on here. I want you to have that in your mind as we go on. Do I have another picture? Is that it? That's it. Okay. All right, very good. So this is what's going on. This is the tabernacle that we're dealing with here. This thing was a movable tent. It was designed that way. Moses saw it when he had the vision with God, when he was on the mountain. He showed him exactly what this thing should look like. So let's jump into verse 3 again. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. And he shall be girded with a linen sash and the linen turban. He shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore, he shall wash his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goat as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. So this preparation, and that's what we're talking about, this is getting ready to do your job, involved four things. First, there was the offering for the high priest, and we see that in the first part of verse 3. It consisted of a bull as a sin offering, and this is the unintentional sins. You know, I've screwed up, I didn't mean to, you know, I, I, it happens. The second part here is the ram, which was a burnt offering. And this is a sweet savor offering. This is on your own accord. I am going to bring this. The whole animal is consumed. I am bringing this out of my own will. I don't have to. This isn't for sin. This is because I want to. The third thing is putting on the proper clothing of the high priest, which we saw in verse 4. This is necessary for entering into the most holy place. So before the high priest could put these things on, what did he have to do? It said he should wash. This is a mikvah. It was a ceremonial cleansing. To put this in perspective, do you guys remember in the New Testament when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples? Right? That wasn't just a nice gesture. What would happen? These guys, these Jewish people, they would always go to these cleansing pools and they would cleanse themselves. They'd become ceremonially cleansed. But when they would travel, what got dirty? Their feet. So the lowest of servants would wash their feet because everything else is clean. And that is what Jesus is doing. He made himself to be a servant to the people and say, you've already been washed. All this dirty is your feet. That's the same idea that's going on here. It is this mikvahing that they are going to ritually um, get into this bath. And so they before he can put on those clothes. He has to. Now, I've got a picture here to give you an idea of what these clothing would look like. All right? This is the high priest. This is, a, uh, we believe, an exact depiction of Aaron himself. White beard and everything. I don't know. I'm guessing. But you've got all of it. You've got several layers here. We're not going to get into all of the specifics of this. We did that a year ago, but just talking about this. This is the thing that they, go, they carry the incense in. All right? This is that breastplate that's got the 12 stones in it. I mean, all this, the hat, the headwear, uh, the two, you see down here, it's hard to see, but those things are the little um, pomegranate bells. And 
now again, now I'll tell you this, this is not scripture, this is Jewish tradition that has been passed down, um, and there's arguments about whether it's true, but they would say that the high priest would wear a, a rope on his uh, ankle as he entered into the holy place, and they would stand outside, because remember they had to be outside of the tabernacle uh, while he was in there, and as long as they heard those bells chiming, then they were fine. But if the sound stopped, they assumed that he had done something wrong and was dead. They had that rope so that they could pull him out. That is Jewish tradition. That is not a thus saith the Lord, and that is certainly not right out of Scripture, but just so you know. But there is a lot of seriousness to it regardless. Now, they find these bells. Um, Ali Shukran, who's an archaeologist over there, they find these bells around the Temple Mount all the time. They've fallen off and things like that. So, I mean, there's a lot of relevance there to what's going on. So it's pretty cool. But, okay, so that gets into all the clothing. But the fourth thing was the offering for the people, which is what we see in verse 5. There's two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. The high priest had an important job because he had to sacrifice for himself, and he also had to do it for the entire nation. I mean, there's a lot of pressure on you, okay? So the next thing in verse 6, we're going to get into the presentation of all of this. Okay, verse 6, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And that is right at the entrance of the tabernacle, which we showed that picture. Okay, then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it. And it too let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. Now, in verse 6, we see the laying out of the sacrifice for the priest, which consisted of the bull, is being presented. And the blood of the bull was specific for one thing, making atonement for the high priest and for his family. That's where we're at. The, then comes the presentation of the sacrifice for the people, which is the second part of that, that passage that we just read, that the two goats were presented to the high priest, then they would, he would cast lots, and this is the, basically the rolling of dice is what it was, to determine, that's how they would determine what the Lord's will was. One was to be sacrificed, whichever fell on the Lord's lot, and the other one would become the scapegoat, okay? The goat for what we call the Azazel. So we see these things being presented here. They determine which is which, and Azazel, which is, it means scapegoat, but it means removal, Okay, so you've got the goat for God, the goat for Azazel. Both goats were presented alive before God. After the one goat was killed, the other was sent alive into the wilderness. And this is a picture that's following the shedding of the blood that came for the removal of Israel's sin. And we'll get into the, a little bit more detail on that in a moment. Now, the atonement for the priest in, in, in verse 11. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering which is for himself, and make atonement for himself, for his house, and then shall kill the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire, that was that golden thing that he had holding there, um, from the altar before the Lord, and with his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil, and he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony. That's the ark. The ark of the testimony is another thing that was called. Lest he die. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Now, again, the bull's killed. is first as a sin offering for the high priest. is to make atonement for his family and himself, specifically. This is followed by the burning of the incense. They take coals from that, puts it in the censer. He's got a handful of that incense. A lot of times it was frankincense. And it was beaten fine. So it was a powder. And he would walk through the veil 
and he would begin to burn, and that cloud would form there. Now, one of the things is, is I've been asked before, why do we lift our hands during worship? And the answer is always like, oh, it's our, we're in surrender. That is certainly true from where we come from. But another thing that the high priest would do, and even the priesthood, is that when they would burn that incense as a sweet savor offering, they would put their hands down and they would grab that smoke and lift it up to God. And that is part of what they were doing. And that is part of where that tradition comes from, the lifting of your hands, certainly in surrender. But I don't think God had the cops in mind when he was saying, you know, hands up. Okay, so that's not just what is going on here. It is, is more than that. So he placed this, this coal on the altar of incense, and it would burn, and this cloud would rise. It was into the Holy of Holies, and it would completely cover the mercy seat. And it was this cloud of incense that kept the priest alive. How? I don't know. This is how God set it up. But then came the offering of blood, which is verse 14. The blood of the bull was sprinkled seven times over the mercy seat. This is the first time that the high priest has entered the Holy of Holies on this occasion. There's several times when he walks in and out. So that's the atonement for him and his family. Step one. Now to step two in verse 15. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. Bring his blood inside the veil. Do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out that he make atonement for himself for his household and for all the assembly of Israel. And he should go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his fingers seven times, cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he has made an end of the atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel in all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. The atonement for the people consisted of two goats, right? We see this. Okay? There's two goats. First thing he does, he goes in there, he does all of this stuff specifically for him and his family. In order to be the perfect mediator for the nation of Israel, he has to be ceremonially cleansed. And that is what all these offerings are about. It is not the forgiveness of sin. It is being able to enter into the presence of God and being clean in that sense. Okay, That's number one. So he's going to make atonement for himself. Then he's got these two goats, and he sacrifices the one. He begins to do this for all the people, but he has to start with making atonement for the holy place, which is the holy of holies. He's got to make atonement for that, and then the rest of it. Why does he have to do this? Because the uncleanness of the children of Israel, of their transgressions and their sins. He's got to do for the tabernacle. I mean, he's got to do for all of it because why? These people were unclean before God. So every year he would have to do this. As he begins to go in there, no priest could be standing in the holy place. He ha they had to be out. They're, they've basically got the day off at this point because he is doing everything himself. There's no one else involved. 
because he's got to make atonement for all of this. So he goes before the Lord, he does all of this, he sacrifices the goat, uh, he sprinkles the blood on mercy, then he comes out to the altar which he sacrificed on. It talks about the horns of the altar. I didn't get put a picture up, I should have. But you've got this altar and on each corner was a horn. And the horn is a representation of authority. And he would sprinkle it seven times on it as well, cleansing this altar that was once unclean. Again, without the shedding of blood, there is no atonement for sins. There's a lot of blood that is going on. And then you've got the two ghosts. He brings the live one and the dead ones. Now, the goat for God in verse 15 is the sin offering. It was killed, the blood is brought in the Holy of Holies, uh, sprinkled upon the mercy seat, then the second time he enters in the Holy of Holies. The reason the atonement was made in the tabernacle is given in verse 16. It says the uncleanness of the children of Israel. We've talked about that, but these are talking about unwitting sins, transgressions, and deliberate violations of the law. You've got all of these things that are being atoned for. So you've got ceremonially uncleansed, you've got unwitting sin, I didn't realize I was messing up, and then you've got the deliberate violations of the law. All three of those are summed up in this idea. No one enters the tabernacle, none whatsoever. But the atonement is spelled out in verse 18. The atonement is the blood of the bull and the goat. The blood of the bull atoned for the high priest and his family, while the blood of the goat atoned for everybody else. All of this. You guys get this? Yeah. Okay, so when you talk about atonement, it is the making one thing that was wrong, making it right is the simplest way to put it. We talk about atonement in the just simply a forgiveness of sin. It is now making a way in which now you can come before God. It is changing it. So when it was unclean, when it's become atoned for, it's been purchased, something has been taken the place of, and now it is made right, temporarily in this case. It's a covering. It's a covering is what it is, is how you would put that down, is that it is covering over this sin. And you guys will see this make more sense next week in light of us. I'm laying out the foundation now. I know it's a lot of information. It doesn't take it away. It's still the, the sin is still there, but now it's been covered over. It's atoned for. It's what is happening here. That's goat number one. Now, goat number two is presented before God. All right, Both of them were. And then it says that he's made an end of the atoning for the holy place, attend the meeting altar, he shall present the live goat, bringing this out. Having done with the blood of the first goat, which is the atoning part, the second goat is known as the goat of Azazel, or removal is whatever you want to call it. But the action of the high priest concerning the live goat are given in verse 21. He lays his hands upon that, and then it says the sins, that are the iniquities of the uh, nation of Israel are now transferred on through the head of this goat. This is kind of referring to an eternal sin, first of all. The sin nature that you and I have. I don't have to teach my children to misbehave. They're pretty good at it. Didn't have to teach them that. They figured it out. We have this uh, preclusion to go and do things that we ought not do. I was listening to a podcast the other day. The guy who made, um, not Ozzy Osbourne, but one of those 80s rockers, I can't think of his name, was super popular. He was a promotion guy. And he said, we get behind people. Here's how we know who we're going to get behind. He said, you know, if they're going against what parents are teaching, they're going to blow up and be huge. And that's how I know who to get behind. He's talking about rap specifically. He said, you look at what's in these lyrics today in rap, how we know somebody's going to be big, because parents are teaching their kids not to do all the stuff that they're being told to do in rap, and that is cool. He's like, so we get behind these guys, and this was not a Christian thing, by the way, just so you know. But, but we get behind these guys because we know they're going to blow up and we're going to make a fortune with them. So it's the rebellious side of us. 
So that's the first thing, this, this sin nature. The second is the confession of Israel's transgression or violations of the commandments of the law. The third thing is the confession of Israel's sin. And this is to come short of the glory of God in, in, in one way or other. And so he would uh, confess these things and it's short the righteousness of the Lord would, that he demanded. And so these sins are being put on them. All the iniquities, the transgressions, they were placed upon the head of the goat. This is a clear concept of substitution. Something is being substituted for the individual that did all of this stuff. Something is stepping in there. Then the goat was taken away by an individual, some man, that is in readiness, which means that he is in a preparation, a cleansing place, and all of that, driven out of the, into the wilderness. Now, the goat is known as the scapegoat. Because it bore the iniquities of Israel and, it, and the, the land that it was, and then it was released into the, into the wilderness. You guys, the scapegoat, this is a word that we use all the time. We make somebody a scapegoat. This is a biblical term. The scapegoat was taken, uh, takes the sin upon them. So the point that should not be missed here, and this is what I want to make very clear, is that the goat that bore the sins away only after the blood had been shed. It's important. Because it's only the shedding of the blood of the first goat that the second goat could actually carry away these sins. Now, when we look at the word Azazel, it only occurs four times in the Bible. And all of them are in Leviticus 16. Now, your translation may not say Azazel, may just say scapegoat. But in the Hebrew, it says Azazel. It's not found anywhere else in the Bible. Now, many translators prefer to translate it as the goat that goes away or something like that. But the King James Version is what says scapegoat. Now, other translations treat the word as a name, Azazel. An escape goat option is entirely possible, but they treat it as a popular, a, a, not popular, a proper name. But the Azazel parallels the phrase for Yahweh, okay? And the wording suggests two divine figures that are going on here. This is what it's suggesting, okay? Now, when you translate the name Azazel, an ancient Jewish text show that Azazel proper name was understood as a demonic figure okay he's associated with the wilderness it's the mishnah which is just one of the the ancient jewish writing records that the goat for azazel was led to a cliff and pushed over ensuring that it would die and would not return because you definitely don't want to turn around the next day and it's like oh there's the goat that took all the sins he's back yeah it's sticking around oh it's a pet no that's not what you want now, the association of wilderness. Wilderness is always looked upon as evil. Okay? You can see this in the New Testament in several different places, but Jesus is taken into the wilderness, and what happens? He's tempted by the devil. I mean, several other places to see that idea. But Israelites had been accustomed to sacrificing to these, we'll call them goat demons, but these false gods, and they often looked like goats. The Day of Atonement replace this illegitimate practice. And the second goat was not sent into the wilderness as a sacrifice to a foreign god or anything like that, but sending this live goat into the wilderness, which was unholy ground, it was sending the sins of the people where they belong in the domain of the demonic. They don't belong on the sacred ground of God or the sacred place of God. So with one goat sacrificed to bring purification and access to God, the other one is sent to carry the people's sin away to the demonic domain. It's this ritual that was done every year. But it was the identity of the true God and His mercy and His holiness. I know that's a mouthful, guys. I know that's a lot. But there's so much going on here that we read too quickly and we don't look into this stuff. There, there's a specific point. All of this points to Christ, guys. All of it. We'll get into that next week. 
Okay, let's get into verse 23, because now you've got the cleansing of everybody that's involved. Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, shall take off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. He shall wash his body with water in a holy place, put on his garments, come out and offer his burnt offering, and the burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall bring on the altar, and he who released the goat as a scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward he may come into the camp. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. And they shall burn it in the fire, in the fire their skins, their flesh, and their offal. Then he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward he may come into the camp. I mean, anybody who had any part to do this had to cleanse and everything had to be burned again. So in verse 23, the clothing that was worn by the priest was put off into the holy place, which is the first room as you enter in with a table of showbread and all this other stuff. And then he would bathe and then he would dress. He mikvah, he cleansed again. Why did he become unclean? Because now he is becoming sacrificing all of these things. It's now time to cleanse. The burnt offerings were offered for himself and the people for atonement for all of those around. The fat or the best was completely consumed and was burned. The one who released the scapegoat had to what? He had to mikvah. He had to become cleansed. Why? Because he was part of the reason that they carried those sins away. He had touched something that was now unclean. All right? There remains the blood of the bull and the first goat were burned outside of the camp, anything that was left of them, and that this, that because they have borne the sins. All of this is on them. They've got to take it outside of the camp. It's completely consumed. And the one burning the remains had to wash himself and his clothing before he was allowed to return to the camp. Do you get the idea? You've got clean and unclean. That's what's going on here. Once the atonement is made, anybody who has touched something that is now unclean has to become clean again. Aren't you glad we're in a better system? All right? Now, there's all these restrictions and specific things that they got to do in verse 29. This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest. For you and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as the priest in the Father's place shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes of the holy garments. And he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly. This shall be an everlasting statute for you to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. There's a lot going on here, guys, and I don't want to belittle this anymore and, and just take this on any longer than we have to. But you've got clean and unclean, clean and unclean. Everything in Leviticus is taking things that are unclean, clean. If you were clean and you touched something unclean, now you're unclean. You've got to go get clean again. And it's all about, it's not the forgiveness of sin. The atonement simply was a covering that covered that up. But the sins had to be removed. Something had to step in the way. Because if that didn't die, then you needed to die. Because with sin brings death. It requires the shedding of blood. Again, and I know you guys, because I can see the, the wheels spinning in your heads for a lot of you. You're watching this whole picture of Christ unfold, who is the high priest, the great high priest. Again, we'll get into this more next week. But the, everything decreed by God had to be done to fulfillment, every step of it. And when they miss it, they are now unclean. Therefore, the sacrifices had to be made. The high priest couldn't just walk in there thinking, oh, I'm so great and everything. No, he had to do all of this for himself. Then he had to step in as a mediator for the entire nation of Israel. 
and then the sacrifice of those animals who gave up their lives as an association for them, that the blood, I mean, even the holy place where God reside had to be cleansed because of the sins of Israel, the transgressions, all of this thing, everything about it brought sin. And they'd have to do this every year. Why? Because the sin continued to go and the high priest would continue to miss it and he'd have to cleanse again and sacrifice again. And this was ongoing. Then they had to get the sin out of the camp and they sent him out there. And there's more about that next week. What's the bottom line, guys? Thank God we don't live under this system. And you imagine the responsibility of the high priest. I mean, this is a lot of information and this is a lot of stuff that's just taking place and it's so mechanical but every bit of this points to something spiritual and something that Jesus has done and that he's going, when he returns, it's going to happen again. Guys, the nation of Israel is the reason that you and I are here because they brought in the Messiah. They had to follow all of this. Y'all, this, this is serious stuff. And so it is, it is without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. It's got to happen. Day of Atonement, most holy day of the year. Why is that? Because it is the only day that the high priest was allowed to go in there and for finally can make that covering. You know what day they missed it on? The next one. That's when they would screw it up all over again. They got to wait till the next year to do it right. I mean, it's, it's serious. It's serious. You guys, we're so blessed and so thankful. But wait till next week when you begin to see all of this mechanical stuff that we just talked about unfold in the New Testament and how Jesus is our fulfillment of the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, it's, it's, it's incredible when you begin to put those pieces. The book of Hebrews will make so much more sense next week after going through all of this, I promise you.